The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Following periods when inflation has running below 2%, appropriate monetary policy will likely aim to achieve inflation moderately above 2% for some time. Fed Chair Jerome Powell confirms the U.S. Central Bank will allow higher inflation, lending support to lower for longer rate expectations. A Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan tells CNBC they will stay flexible. To me, this is not a formula. It's not a commitment. It's not an arith- It's not. We're not going to use an arithmetic average. President Trump officially accepts the Republican nomination as he makes his case to the American people, blasting his rival Joe Biden as a, quote, threat to the country. Spanish schools and the city of Paris make mask wearing mandatory amid a spike in cases as France records its second, its highest level of post-lockdown infections. And retail raid. Walmart joins Microsoft in a bid to purchase TikTok's North American operations as the Chinese-owned app reportedly prepares for a U.S. shutdown. will allow inflation to temporarily overshoot its 2% target and a major policy shift that it hopes will stimulate the U.S. economy. Chair Jerome Powell highlighted the risk to persistently low inflation in a move that is set to see interest rates stay lower for longer. But he stressed the Fed would act quickly in case of excessive inflationary pressure. We're speaking at this year's virtual Jackson Hole Symposium, a different backdrop of course, so Powell outlined the FOMC's new approach. If inflation runs below 2% following economic downturns, but never moves above 2% even when the economy is strong, then over time, inflation will average less than 2%. Households and businesses will come to expect this result, meaning that inflation expectations would tend to move below our inflation goal and pull realized inflation down. To prevent this outcome and the adverse dynamics that could ensue, our new statement indicates that we will seek to achieve inflation that averages 2% over time. Therefore, following periods when inflation has running below 2%, appropriate monetary policy will likely aim to achieve inflation moderately above 2% for some time. Well, this is the market reaction, the biggest change that we've seen to that inflation target in about 40 years. Fairly significant for some quarters of the market, you'd have to say. Although, well, well flagged as a lot of investors were trying to rake over the ramifications, we did see a little bit of steepening of the curve. And that's positive, of course, when we talk about some of the banking trades. And for U.S. markets, we did see some momentum in the Dow trade in particular, briefly turning positive for the year. It has been the lag out of some of the other major markets. By the finish, though, still holding on to just six-tenths of a percent. 
The S&P clocking up some fresh record intraday levels and a record close at this level, 3,484, even with a slim range and the percentage bounce, less than two-tenths of a percent. But it was a fade for some of those tech stocks and the Nasdaq just reversing, so coming off some of the high levels, which is curious as we talk, uh, take another look at some of those risk on asset plays on the back of this monetary policy change with the average inflation targeting, effectively running inflation just a little bit hotter than we have seen in the past. But uh, some of the, the messaging from central bankers, which we'll hear throughout the show, just threw a little bit of doubt on the, the time frame. So I guess investors have some doubts about what that actually means if we, we allow inflation to glide higher. Let's take a look at the, the Dow year to date how it has performed so far. We're still off uh, some of the higher levels, but not by much, uh, only a fraction, as you can see, 0.1-odd percent uh, off uh, that uh, year-to-date level is what we're witnessing. So uh, very strong levels now on the Dow as it tries to play catch-up to the other major indices. Let's take a look at the banks, because with the yield steepening that we've seen elements of at the markets, this is a positive play for some of those big banking stocks. So if we can switch over the charts and take a look at the reaction, you can see it was strong across the board. JP Morgan, the one out in front, a bounce of close to 3.3%, but near on 2% for some of the other trades, as you can see. Very strong trading session. Treasuries, as we mentioned, that steepening the curve. Let's take a look at the 10-year as we've uh, lifted to some of the high levels that we've seen in recent months. 0.77 on the 10-year yield, and you can see at the 30-year, 1.54. Stretch that back to the short end of the curve, and you can see the distance now with just 0.15 of the 2-year when, don't forget, uh, last year and in recent years, we've been talking about how flat the yield curve has been. This has certainly created just a little bit of distance in those uh, basis point trades between the short and the long end. The dollar, we did see a little bit more moves to the upside in the dollar as a result of those changes in yields. Although one of the uh, interpretations has been what comes next from other central banks. We've been talking about interest rate differentials a little bit um, the dollar had lost some of its appeal given how dovish the, the Fed had been and there was a risk that the, the comments would be even more negative for the dollar. You can see this morning the dollar is actually on the defensive. Sterling has uh, bounced again, 132.50, higher morning trade. But we are in the ranges we have seen on euro dollar in recent weeks, even though we've got a bounce morning session, 118.70 where we're trading, dollar yen stronger and uh, dollar weakening versus the Chinese currency. Well, speaking to CNBC, Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan gave his interpretation of the new policy. The new framework says we're likely to let inflation run moderately above. What does moderate mean to me? Probably means to me two and a quarter, two and a half. You've heard me say before, over the last few years that our inflation target was symmetric. I don't want to run persistently below and I don't want to run persistently above. And for me, at least, that hasn't changed. ECB chief economist Philip Lane dismissed concerns central banks had run out of tools. Come to learn in these months is central banks have a lot of capability. Central banks, uh, even in this world where interest rates are low or negative, uh, there's a lot we can do. So, you know, this is not to say the central banks can, uh, you know, solve all the problems. We have a very limited role, uh, really, compared to fiscal policy in this environment. Uh, but within our within our mandate, within our remit, I, w- I would not be concerned about. Panilla Henneberg joins us, global economist at City. Panilla, there seemed to be uh, fairly widespread support of the Fed's 17 Fed policymakers signing on to the new strategy. But we didn't get a lot of detail on the time frame for inflation to be sliding into a slightly higher range. What does that mean for markets now as we also watch out for the next Fed meeting in September? 
And so I think you're right that there were already speculations about this inflation targeting being announced. And the surprise was, of course, that it came yesterday, but that was not a dovish surprise in what was communicated. And I think we're still left in a situation where the central banks is clearly now willing to let inflation be higher than 2%, but actually getting inflation up there has been the real challenge already since the global financial crisis. And that perspective hasn't changed but just by allowing inflation to go higher. There are a lot of question marks about when inflation would actually lift. And clearly in the middle of the crisis, it's hard to see a pickup in inflation. And then a reluctance to talk about how long we'd be in this type of targeting or environment where the, the range now can be higher than 2% to get this average target for inflation. So, so what do we do with the information we just received about this change in strategy? Because it's also hard to see down the track when we've got growth rates returning and there's talk about preparing for the next crisis that interest rates won't go up, but to tackle some of the challenges. Yeah, so we have for some time now been seeing that the financial market pricing of inflation has been adjusting upwards towards the fundamentals. Um, our outlook for inflation is not very strong. We have a pretty subdued outlook uh, for actual inflation, uh, despite all the easing coming from the central banks. But the challenge is that the underlying drivers are still not strong enough. But there is still plenty of room for financial markets to adjust upwards, uh, simply because expectations were so low. Uh, and that adjustment can go on for some time, uh, in our view. Mm. And Pernil, unemployment, the Fed's new view is that a robust jobs market can be sustained and not lead to an outbreak of inflation. And Jerome Powell cited specifically how before the pandemic, the robust jobs market was helping lower income parts of the U.S. and it was getting people into jobs that had been out of the jobs market for too long here. In the past, Jerome Powell has denied that the Fed has played a role in inequality in the U.S., but do you see this new stance around unemployment as somewhat of a nod or an acknowledgement that the Fed does have a role to play in bridging the gap between the haves and the haves not, have-nots in America? Yeah, so I think the perspective on uh, unemployment is really taking a microeconomic view on what is going to create inflation. That's in contrast to the traditional macroeconomic theory, like Milton Friedman's assumption that if you just boost money supply, you will automatically see inflation rising. And we think that that is leading to some stagflation fears. But from the micro perspective that you're talking about, the weakness in the labor market and particularly the weakness in pricing power among firms is likely to keep inflation low for a very long time. And that remains a challenge, although the Fed is now willing to let inflation run higher and not react uh, if the labor market strengthens. Mm. And in terms of the drivers of inflation, what could push inflation higher? Yesterday, Fed President Kaplan was speaking to our colleagues in the U.S. and suggested that the dollar, deglobalization and regulatory change could all be future drivers of higher inflation. What, what's your take? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, so it's, it's really crucial to take um, a, a look at underlying drivers and various markets can have 
effects on uh, inflation uh, looking ahead. Uh, so that's labor market, it's a um, product market's pricing power. Inflation expectation are also important, and that is one of the reasons why the Fed communicated as they did yesterday. They want to boost inflation expectation as they do have a significant impact in affecting uh, core price inflation. Uh, so, so that can help, um, but the, the outlook is still weak uh, with the weak economic situation that we are in. And um, so, um, the, the fear of inflation really running hard and this stagflation fear that the economy remains weak, but inflation starts to rise, we don't think that's justified. We think it's more uh, a risk that there will be asset bubbles uh, because central banks so aggressively try to stimulate the economy, but not actually feeding into the real economy. Panilla, which leaves us also questioning the role of the dollar here and whether we are in a further dollar descent environment. What do you think? Because typically when we look at other central banks, they can follow suit. I mean, there's very limited tools these days for central bankers to use in, in crisis fighting. Now we've got AIT as a legitimate tool unveiled by the Fed. Surely other central banks start to, to follow suit with even further ultra-easy policy. So, so what does that mean for the dollar's descent based on uh, interest rate differentials and accommodative monetary policy? Yeah, so Fed has again been a bit of a first mover here on the monetary policy side. Um, and it comes back to the outlook for the different economies and how uh, there will be delivered enough to strengthen the economy. We will have a different situation depending on uh, how the coronavirus continues to evolve, but also how uh, support is coming from the fiscal side. Uh, so, so many questions remains about the outlook. We are not super optimistic about the global growth prospects and uh, we think uncertainty will continue to be uh, having an impact on the overall global economy and that remains a challenge for central banks uh, and also for, uh, for fiscal policies. Uh, Penilla, thank you very much. Uh, Penilla Henneberg, uh, Global Economist at City with us. Uh, we are going to continue to follow all the coverage in this uh, virtual symposium this year. Clearly a big one for central bankers. Jackson Hole continues with the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey. The headline act today and clearly we're all going to be listening for any clues on negative rates. Uh, meantime, CNBC will also be digesting the Fed's historic policy shift with the trio of central bank presidents. Cleveland's Loretta Mester... Philadelphia's Patrick Harker and St. Louis James Bullard will speak to our colleagues stateside over the course of the day. So we are now just chasing some news that has been crossing out of Japan and uh, hitting the wires at this hour is that uh, the Japanese Prime Minister Abe is set to retire. Sourcing here is from NHK uh, that uh, there will be uh, a significant resignation from, uh, from Prime Minister Abe that he in fact will potentially announce that. So the uh, Nikkei average uh, has tumbled on the back of these media reports. So this is the market reaction we're looking at. Abenomics clearly has been quite crucial for the Japanese economy, along with central bank action from the BOJ. And I think a lot of investors have uh, raked back over the Japanese uh, markets, Japanese economy, as a re result of some of these policies. So a uh, fairly significant news flow and uh, the Prime Minister's intention to resign is due to worsening health, according to NHK. Uh, but uh, we will continue to watch that dollar-yen rates 
also on the move. And we did take a quick look uh, at that before, as you've seen, uh, a little bit of a drop. This is the, the yields, of course, JGBs. But uh, with yield curve control there, there's not been a huge amount of that change. But I think dollar-yen rates probably worth watching for that key trade. And typically you do see politics expressed through the lens of uh, foreign exchange as well. So that uh, is what we have uh, witnessed. Uh, the JGB did tumble by about 28 points initially on that 10-year. So that was the movement. Here's a dollar-yen, 106.27. It uh, is uh, dollars drifting south versus the Japanese yen. So, Juliana, we will continue to watch that news flow out of Japan for any confirmation on Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Absolutely. Uh, the, we were aware of the issues around his health, but certainly uh, markets reacting as if this wasn't expected, given the moves that we're seeing already in the end. Well, coming up on the show, TikTok takeover. A surprise contender, contender enters the race to acquire the Chinese video sharing app. We'll discuss that next. Story policy adjustment. You can check out this Squawkbox podcast, available from all the major providers and, of course, the CNBC website as well. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Walmart is partnering with Microsoft in a bid to acquire TikTok's U.S. operations. The retailer says taking over the video sharing app would help it garner new consumer data while also boosting its e-commerce and advertising division. Walmart's TikTok takeover bid, which was first reported by CNBC, saw the company's stock jump almost 6%. The Trump administration has ordered TikTok to divest its U.S. assets by the 12th of November, citing national security concerns. Walmart's announcement came just hours after the resignation of TikTok CEO Kevin Mayer. TikTok's parent company ByteDance has told the app's developers to make contingency plans for shutdowns of, at U.S. operations should a takeover fall through. That is according to Reuters, citing an internal memo. A spokesperson for the company said it is confident the app will remain available for consumers, but that it is developing plans to ensure the well-being of its U.S. employees. Just circling back, though, to this big story around whether Microsoft and Walmart could be partners in the TikTok U.S. operations is quite significant, Juliana. A couple of thoughts on this one. Now, first up, there was always a suggestion that maybe another partner would come on board with Microsoft. It's a huge chunk of change, $30 billion roughly, uh, that they might cited for those U.S. operations. And clearly, Microsoft has deep pockets. But who wants to make a significant bet like that at this point, given all the politics around TikTok and uh, Walmart, another company? And if you share the, the cost of that acquisition, two companies with deeper pockets, clearly better than one perhaps at this stage. The other point I wanted to make is that it would be a significant shift away from the core business of retail for Walmart. And if you think about Walmart's nearest rival these days, you'd have to call out Amazon effectively. And Amazon is already in the business of entertainment, uh, slightly different, of course, with Amazon Prime. But uh, TikTok is a, a form of media and entertainment. So perhaps it takes Walmart closer to an Amazon type of company. 
I, I was looking into the background of this, and our, our colleagues have done some reporting on the Walmart-Microsoft team-up, and it's interesting that before teaming up with Microsoft, according to people who were familiar with the matter who spoke to our U.S. colleagues, Walmart was part of a consortium that included SoftBank and Alphabet. So this wasn't the primary tie-up. This wasn't the, the, the first choice here. SoftBank apparently felt like Walmart's all-American image paired with Alphabet could be a way in for the Japanese company to access TikTok in that deal scenario, Walmart was going to be the lead buyer. And and that uh, was just not going to work out with SoftBank and Alphabet acquiring minority stakes. So then we saw Walmart to move into this uh, partnership with Microsoft. But interesting to see them so many companies swirling around TikTok, not just Oracle, Microsoft and now Walmart. The other point, too, I mean, what was flagged up was that it would allow Walmart perhaps to get to know the consumer more and perhaps with more ads, I would say. But this is interesting. In recent days, we've seen Facebook, given some of the iOS changes coming on Apple, flag up concerns about its ability to track some of its its customers with user-specific targeted user data. So if you think in the reverse, how would this work with TikTok and Walmart? So if a consumer watches something on TikTok and, you know, it seems to, the consumer seems to like it or follow more of those types of, of uh, stories, then they get targeted, what, with a Walmart ad on, on that platform or on other platforms. So the ability to, for Walmart to maximise this, you've got to say, there might be some question marks given all the changes we're seeing around data at, at this stage. But it is an interesting concept, I think, when you talk about diversification. In the past, we saw diversification by geographies and by other business lines. But during this crisis around COVID-19, we've seen the acceleration of these digital trends. And what does that mean if you're diversifying these days? Do you just diversify into another major tech area where you can? That is, is that the only play for diversification at this point for some companies? Well, Karen, your point about the potential advertising model that we could see TikTok and Walmart use, we've got a guest coming up on the show from Schroeder's, and looking through his research, he's made the point that the advertising addressable market is likely significantly smaller with TikTok than for Facebook, even though it is fair to look at these as, um, you know, rivals or working in the similar in a similar space, because TikTok is not an identity app versus Facebook, who bases all of their advertising and their whole model really around individual users and individual profiles, whereas TikTok much more about content consumption. Well, we'll leave that conversation there now. We've got plenty more to discuss on tech. And as I mentioned, we will have a guest from Schroeder's coming up shortly and we'll get to pick his brain around TikTok. But now let me bring you to Dell. Shares in Dell are higher in after hours trading. This after the PC maker beat quarterly profit estimates. Dell says the shift towards working from home saw a demand jump for its notebooks and cloud software. The uptick in remote learning saw orders from the education sector rise by 24%. However, revenue from desktop sales and data centers fell as many company offices around the world remain empty. Our colleagues stateside will be speaking to Dell CEO and founder Michael Dell later today. Make sure to tune in for that interview at 1515 CET. HP shares are higher in post-market trade after the company sold a record number of computers and posted more than $14 billion in quarterly revenue. The PC maker said the shift towards working and learning from home is driving demand. Notebook sales were up more than 30% for the quarter, offsetting weakness in HP's commercial division. Speaking to Jim Cramer on CNBC's Mad Money, HP CEO Enrique Lores said he expects household demand for PCs to continue growing. Where demand is stronger than before is in the home space in many different countries. 
we are seeing more people working from home, many more kids learning from home. And when you are doing that, you need to print and you need to print locally. This is really for us a long-term opportunity as well, as we expect this to continue going forward. Tiffany has posted stronger than expected earnings in uh, the quarter. The U.S. jeweler returned to profitability, boosted by the economic recovery in China and an uptick in online sales. To the other end of the market, a gap of the U.S. retailer sees revenue falling 18% in the second quarter, swinging to a loss. A 95% surge in e-commerce curbed the drop in sales but could not offset the nearly 50% fall in store purchases. Gap has not provided an earnings outlook for 2020, although it does expect trends to improve for the rest of the year. Well, shares in Abbott Laboratories jumped almost 8% after the Trump administration agreed to purchase some $750 million worth of COVID tests. This after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration granted emergency authorization for Abbott's portable antigen tests earlier this week. The tests can provide results in just 15 minutes and will sell for just $5. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.